hello there, and welcome to episode one of season two of I Get That A Lot. I'm Jim Fishwick. Every episode, we hear from a special guest about the annoying jokes other people make about their names. This week's guest is James Colley, a comedy writer whose work as head writer on Gruen, on Question Everything, and on The Weekly with Charlie Pickering makes him one of the more prolific voices on Australian TV at the moment, although he almost always works behind the scenes. You'd be hard-pressed to meet anyone who understands the mechanics of comedy writing better than James. He's a machine, but he's also the technician, the engineer, and he's kind, generous, and thoughtful. It's frankly infuriating. Anyway, James and I spoke about the jokes people make about his name, the impact those jokes had on his taste in vegetables, we talked about naming a baby, we talked about friendly bullying, and the ins and outs of being a comedy writer. I'll be back at the end with some more, but for now, here's I Get That A Lot with James Colley. James is very generic, so you get that an awful lot. I asked my parents um, why they named me James. So this has been on my mind. We're about to have, my wife and I are about to have our first child. And so this is the first time in my life I've really focused on names because the stress of like having to choose a name is really, like, is really heavy on me. <laughs> and and strangely, I, I feel like... um. I act like Homer Simpson does when they were choosing Bart's name that like my reaction is we pick a name and we I, I'm like okay if I was bullying this child like what's this going to be and um James is very generic for that James gets a free pass in most other places like the most I really get was in primary school I find it strange that primary school insults are the simplest and the ones that in retrospect mean vaguely nothing but are also the most cutting by far so things like hey james where's your giant peach is not something that should bother me god it stuck with me (laughs) what i got the most what i got the absolute most particularly in primary school was cauliflower which in retrospect kind of fine there's worse things you could be called but it built up in me such a hatred of the concept of cauliflower that it wasn't until literally this year. I am a 31-year-old man. It was until this year that I'm like, I really actually quite like cauliflower. And it's now one of the first things I buy when I'm going for a grocery shop because it's very convenient, it's useful, it's healthy. But I hated so much the idea that I would be cauliflower, someone would catch me buying cauliflower, that I could not stand it. It was like, it was a bullying attempt. Like it was just picking whatever words you could pick. Like it honestly didn't matter what they were saying it was like the sneering way in which it was said if anything that's the effect i got like by the tone with which they said my name i presumed the vegetable itself had to be disgusting (laughs) do you have the same relationship with peaches no not really i was always i but i never liked the story because of it which is strange because usually when a character has my name like i i believe there's this thing that if someone has the same name as you you're either best friends or enemies and that's purely in your own head like you are every every other james is my best friend or every other james is my enemy and i'm usually more of the best friend area <laughs> be like oh another james great we're gonna get on fantastically but 
for the giant peach toy, I just like I love my little doll. I would never read James and the Giant Peach. I hated the cartoon. It already creeped me out as like like those stories tend to. But like again, I like pushed hard against it. <laughs> Anything else being compared to, I don't want this at all. I didn't think there were any other people with the surname Collie that much around. I I um am not close with the Collie side of our family. I've never really known them um too well. I know there are quite a few of them about, but like in general Collies, I didn't really hear from them at all, and I convinced myself there weren't many around until I started like on comedy shows and things, just kind of billing myself as Collie because I was just like, ah, eh, that's fine shorthand, why not? And I got an, an annoyed message from very lovely Melbourne comedian Atlanta Collie, who uh, is a, a science comedy person, which is also a genre that I drop into every now and then. And she was like, she sent me an entirely fair message that was like, yeah, so I was putting together a show and I kept seeing this guy in the science comedy area who was just billing himself as Collie and really stepping on my turf here. And like, that's fair enough. So I've backed away from doing that. But that was that was the first time I met a Collie in the wild. And since then, I've, I've found out about a lot more Collies. I'll often get Google alerts for, um, well, one of the Collies was a, a murderer in the US, uh, a, a double murderer, I believe, who was put onto death row. And by all accounts, fairly deserved that situation um i also get there is a james collie in um tennessee who appears to be an elderly man and i say that because he sends just all of his receipts to me and it's and part of me's like i i don't need this just filter this away but also it's fascinating when your only interaction with someone is we have the same name, and I get to see what products you purchase from nuts.com bulk nut seller, various tractor part companies, and, and the occasional Baby Yoda-themed whiskey glass. It's just a, a, re- a very strange way to get to know a human being. I feel like I'm in a crime novel. I got a message from a James Colley, who is a uh, reporter in Australia, I believe, and I felt kind of bad because i feel like i'm directly attacking his integrity <laughs> like, i put out a very good story and here i am driving like the the collie name into the dirt with just fairly constant bullshit part of my advantage but also the way i like to use whatever public profile i'm forced to have is that i have been primarily a comedian since i was 15 I have lent into the whole I'm unemployable as everything else. It was a way of throwing my hat over the fence. Like, there was a real, like, I can only be hired in this world now. I am a detriment to any other corporate body, so I better keep going in this way. But now I'm finding out there were other people who needed to cross that bridge I've burned. I've always had an uneasy relationship with my name. I find it quite, quite boring and I wish I had a better one. I would rather be James Smith or John Smith or anything more down the line. It's just 
slightly annoying. Like it's just not quite good. And and so I was trying to lean into it by just using it as eh, Collie, like it's fine on its own. And then I thought this was a weird personal hang up until my wife and I were trying to pick names for our child. And because like Collie takes away, you know, anything with a hard K or you sound like a, a comic book character, anything like a lot of names end in a Y or an IE or anything like that's also difficult in this area. So um, at one point while we were going through this process of listing our favorite names, uh, <laughs> my wife turned to me and said, I know this isn't your fault, but Collie is really taking a lot of the joy out of this for me. <laughs> and I felt the same for me. Like, I just don't, I've never felt a huge attachment to it as a name. And it's what I've stuck with. So I almost was trying to push against that feeling of like, I'm I'm going to lean into this being it because it's more fun if it's your only name. Like it's it's a lot more and also um it became particularly amongst when I was doing comedy down in Melbourne, it's what people called me. I was very rarely James. I like for some reason for the last decade I am James in Sydney and Collie in Melbourne. And I don't know why that is, but it just is. And so I was leading into my Melbourne sensibilities, I suppose. When I think about you, I think about you as James Colley. Not James, not Collie, but James Colley, the complete package. And I, I know that there are people who call you Collie, and I, I was thinking about why I don't feel that. And maybe it's because I know you from Sydney, where you're more of a James, but also it feels like a, it feels like a fairly private school thing to do. To call people by their surnames? Yes, yeah, I will get that as well. Absolutely. I don't know, my armchair psychology of it is the idea that your last name has to hold this certain reverence. Like, And the, the, the one thing I like about Collie is that in every way I am a mutt, and it is the name of a mutt. Like, it's the, we don't really come for much or a combination of whatever. No one really knows what we are, we're just a Collie. And you're right in that being a very, a very, very private school thing. And I will say a lot of the people who were calling me Collie were very much private school kids. And so, so that's, I think that's a very interesting connection to make. And it's also like, it's a weird kind of arms distance person. We know each other, but we're not friends. And like that, that feels like a lot where like, James quite intimate you know it's weird to say that it's just a first name but it is it's literally being on a first name basis with someone and also there's an element of like um it's weird to say this but with a name as common as mine I'm the James in your life at this moment like I know I know I'm the only colleague in your life or most likely apologies to Atlanta but um <laughs> like there could be a lot of like at any time like I I wonder if you have the same but I have never been the only James in a classroom, for example. So to be James, like even in my close group of friends, there were all there was always more than one James. So there became James and Jameis or whatever. We found like a different way of referring to the different James. So to be the James in any group is quite a prestige position. <laughs> like I got Alpha James, you know. <laughs> Thank you. 
you're part of a circle of friends of like people who are very happy to mercilessly bully each other especially online like on multiple occasions i have met people and when they have found out that we are mutual friends of yours sort of within two minutes they will drag you through the mud absolutely how do you feel about that like do you think it's because you're comedians and like anything goes so long as it's funny or is it like a way of showing that intimacy that you are friendly enough to be able to do that and the friendship survives like where where does it come from for you and how do you feel about it when it comes to the kind of online let's say friendly bullying let's use that as a generic term um there are a couple of things underlying it that i think are important because I don't think everyone realizes it. And the first one is that the affection comes first and comes so, so much heavier. And where this becomes uh, problematic is that good friends will rib each other. Like, like we will make jokes about each other, call each other garbage, whatever. And someone who knows neither of us will want to join in on the game. And then it becomes, like, very, very brutal. (laughs) And also, like, when you're good friends, it's like sparring when you're, like, shadow boxing with someone. You're not actually aiming for their weak points or trying to knock them out. You're, You're prodding at them. You're prodding at them because you know it's fun. The other thing that I think is important with it is you only do that to people you like. It's that idea of, like, we roast the ones we love. But it's not fun to go on about this guy's such a prick if they're such a prick (laughs) then you're just really getting something emotional off your chest it's quite nice to be like like it's it's always think of the example of like when um someone you know leaves the table to go and get everyone a a round of drinks and everyone oh what a prick or whatever that joke isn't fun if that person is a prick you've just made the evening awkward like if the joke about you is this person sucks like if someone likes you enough that the joke they go to is oh don't we hate them that's a pretty nice place to be and i think about a lot about that thing of how um particularly with men and i think particularly australian men like um you can't have conversations face to face you can't have decent conversations looking each other in the eye a lot of the time it's why bars face forward it's why you have deep talks on car rides it's because you want to be looking at something else and focusing on something else you sit you watch a sports game and that's when you have your your heart-to-heart conversation this is another way of doing that it is i can't tell you that i love you and you mean the world to me and you make my world better so i say aren't you a piece of shit (laughs) and and that's that's our way of getting to the idea of like of course i love you you know and is that endorsed by the prenatal classes that you've been taking yeah exactly (laughs) they they say try and bully the child (laughs) get them that really thick skin that's how you close up the fontanelle you thicken up the skin with bullying Are there jokes that people will make about your career, either when they find out what you do or in the line of doing the work itself? There, there are jokes that come with the line of work, I mean, of course. And particularly in the early days of, you know, when you do a program such as The Weekly, firstly, it's going to be very polarising. When you work for the ABC, it's going to be very polarising, and that will always open you up to some kind of joke. Um, 
there's also that element of, and I feel you have to be humble about this and go in there yourself, particularly when you're doing any kind of satire, which is being like, so anyway, what I do is more important than any teacher, nurse, you know. <laughs> like, it's that element of being like, I work at the clown factory. Like, I feel like you you should be able to have a good sense of humor about what you do. Because also I'm the lucky one. You know, whenever I get into like complaining about working hard or anything of the sort and i feel like you have to have that justification everyone works hard and even when you work your dream job you are still working your dream job you know that's um labor is labor it it grates on you and when you care deeply about something you work hard on it it sucks up hours of your time it does things like that but i also feel like you know my brother-in-law is driving trucks and working in the brick pit and i have to keep what i'm complaining about in perspective of this because you know you, you get paid fine to tell jokes all day that's a very nice place to be so i feel like um you absolutely get jokes fly your way but also you deserve them a lot of the time <laughs> I think for me, um, when I'm thinking about what I still want to do and where I want to go with my career, firstly, I love being in this position. Um, I really, really enjoy um, head writing roles. Uh, it's both incredibly stressful and exactly what I love. I, I feel like um, I always work under uh, such unbelievable pressure on myself and such like high anxiety and... Um, everything else like everything is always going so fast at me in my own head that when it's actually going like that in the real world it's one of those like <laughs> yeah i was born in the darkness you know those moments of me like i always feel guilty for saying it but when everyone is stressed and when everyone is freaking out i am at my best i am calm this is where i live we're going to be okay and that i honestly think that is the best skill I bring to a show, particularly like what I do on shows are we start a script on Thursday and it's going to be filmed next Tuesday and that's going, 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 going. And a lot of the time you just need to problem solve and you need to keep going and you need to come up with the next idea and nonstop churn. And I love being in that position. And I really love like when everything has to go through me. I don't know why. Like I'm not that much of a control freak that I'm precious over things. Like I won't be like, no, it has to be done this way. Or I don't like your idea or I'm changing. But I love being in on the conversation for when we uh, were putting a balloon drop on the weekly we had to be consulted over when the balloons would drop at what time what color the balloons are how many balloons there are i love being in conversations like that where you have to very seriously discuss something very silly and it's like it's a very serious problem to everyone around you like i really like being in that area for all the different elements of a show so that's what i love about head Ride, particularly on the shows that i work on is that you aren't just running a writing team, which is a great experience that I, I like to do, but you're also like, you're the liaison with the graphics department. You're working with a director. You're doing all the bits and pieces of a show. And it it's exciting then. It feels like you're running a bit of everything. I think like the cliche answer here is, what I want to do is anything that interests me. So I, I love making television and I really like making interesting, informative TV. And I want to keep doing that in different ways. I would love to, both like the shows I get to work on, I, I adore and I'm very lucky to be on them and I'm not ready to give them up. 
but I also want to build my own, just make more of these interesting things. Like, I think that, um, particularly in the past couple of years, what I have been doing more than anything else is learning how to build shows. More than just write an episode, how do you make a show? How do you make a segment? How do you make a segment work? How do you deliver it better and cleaner or in a more interesting way? And now I want to apply that knowledge the best I can. And like, if what I was doing for the rest of my life is coming up with show formats, I would really enjoy that. Like, I always love like, okay, here's how I would run this reality show. Like, my my favorite game is whenever any new show starts, I love playing Armchair Critic and being like, okay, here's how you fix this show. I really enjoy, I wish every show I could come on. Like, there's, there's a thing in the US that doesn't happen too much here, which is Script Doctor which is you come in when a script is just about finished and you're like, okay, here's what needs to be fixed here. I would love that. That's like, that's all I ever want to do. Let like someone else handle the bulk of the stuff and I'm going to come in and fix all the problems. But I also like, I have this weird checklist in my head really of like, I want to do a bit of everything. You know, I want, I like writing books. I like writing plays. I like want to get a screenplay under my belt. Like I, I think a lot about, a famous story of Pixar, actually. In one lunch meeting, they filled a whiteboard with their next decade of work. They wrote, like, Toy Story, uh, Inside Out, Film About Cup, whatever. I don't know how much detail they went into on it, but they had this whiteboard of ideas, and then they spent the next decade, one by one, going through those ideas. And I feel I've built up somewhat of the whiteboard of ideas in my mind, and, like, it's finding, like, the right moment and the right area for it to go, but that's what I want to do now, start peeling through each of these topics and like here's the one i want to do next here's the one that would this one will make a very good book i hope this one will make a good film or whatever the interesting challenge of that particularly in this country is getting it made so i'm trying to get the the joy of the process i um spent a year two years just writing narrative pilots that would never really be seen anywhere and also a lot of the type couldn't be filmed or like just wouldn't work. But the experience of and finding the joy in just producing that for the sake of it and getting good at the skill, getting good at the craft of here's how you build this is very interesting to me. And it feels like I've spent a long time now, spent the better part of a decade getting myself very well trained at writing good, efficient television, which is not something that I was naturally good at, like efficient writing. Like, my first notes were always too many words. I liked something that took a long time to say. I really, really enjoyed feeling out a sentence as I was in it. And learning how to efficiently write and write something that also explains something in very simple terms. Like, um, the I got really good advice after a show once about... Um, it was essentially... It's not as esoteric as you think. You just need to give your audience enough information to go along in the ride with you. And I really like that. Like a lot of a lot of my challenge that I face is bringing people along on my thought pattern because I will often jump to play. And it's often more, um, let's say, more insanity than genius. It's not that the idea is so good no one can follow it. It's that it's such a baffling connection to make that you need to walk someone along the path to get there let's say and there are still times now where i will be the most experienced comic in a room and pitch a joke that i'm certain is great to just crickets <laughs> and, and you have that great moment of like look i can spend four and a half minutes and we'll get to the place where you're like oh yeah okay that's still not good but i get where you're going 
but it's it's learning to do that it's learning to do the the work that brings everyone on board it's weird to say it's not dumbing down what you do it's smartening up the way you get there let's say what was people's reaction when you first said you wanted to be a comedian Firstly, it was like, it was comedy writer solidly, like to be like stand up was just the easiest way to do comedy writing. And it was the only way I could really see it because not to go how old we are, but this was a time where there wasn't junkie, there wasn't pedestrian, like things like comedy writing or even writing with a sense of humor. I couldn't really see in Australia too much and and certainly not as a career path. And it seemed the only one of it was stand up and hopefully if you get good enough at stand up they put you on telly and that's kind of i'm not a natural stand up and i've since left stand up because i just it's not what i it's not how i like to do it i haven't done aside from the occasional like guest spot on a panel of things i haven't really done stand up in quite a few years so when i was telling people that i wanted to go into comedy right partly it was a bit of a dirt because you know i was a, a class clown it was the only thing i really cared about but what was, um, there was a big moment for me in year 10, um, which was, I used to write comedy stories and things. Like, I used to write jokes and stuff like that all the time. But I would never, it's weird to say, I would never submit them for assignments or if you had to do creative writing or stuff. All the stuff I would do there was the most saccharine, earnest crap that makes me cringe to remember. That was partly like, more than just the class clown, you know, I've got a dark side too. I didn't, didn't have anything going on in there, but I just wanted to project that. It was like, also like, it was that, that same fear as before. Like, what if adults don't find what I'm doing funny, then I'm offering nothing to them. And it wasn't until like, um, Dieter, I wrote like a, a comedy, like a play that was, we had to do a creative writing play and I wrote the play and the play was funny. And that got me over like, the like, I got very good marks for that. And then I was like, oh, it's weird. If you lean into your strengths, you your things turn out better. And so then I started writing like more comedic stuff, like at least for like assessments and, and putting forward that like, I can be a comedy writer. And so I think my friends knew that I always wanted to do this kind of thing. But then um, it's weird. I could very well remember telling my parents and like almost confessing like, mom, dad, I need you to sit down. I need to tell you something, you know? <laughs> and my like my dad is uh, oh, ex-military, you know, 20 years in the Royal Australian Air Force. <laughs> and and always very supportive of me and whatever I wanted to do. But I was still very nervous about being like, you know, you're from Western Sydney. We didn't, people don't go into the arts. Like, that's just, it doesn't exist. What is that? How do you get paid for doing that? Um, which is still a good question. But um, I, I said to him, like, I, I want to go into comedy. And he's like, I remember him being like, okay, I'll come to your next gig. And he came along and it was a show at the Roxbury. And he sat at the back and he, he watched us uh, perform in this show. And then it was almost like this entirely silent car ride back, pretty much. Like, he didn't really... He talked about some of the other acts just a little bit, mostly disapprovingly. <laughs> and then he came back and he just went to him, yeah, he can do it. And that was just kind of it. Like, it was real. Like, I also, you know, had to get some kind of qualification to fall back on. That was an important thing. But so you got a BA in poetry. Just you know. I got a, yeah, I got a stray in poetry and a low level physics degree. <laughs> so what I did was acquire hex debt that also couldn't lead to any reasonable work for me. But then, yeah, from there it was 
really the only thing I could do. We were talking about the private school thing before, but I think about this a lot whenever I see an act or a comic or someone who came from, not necessarily where I'm from, but similar circumstances, similar socioeconomic background, where whenever they make it or whenever they even just start out of the industry, I just want to like bring them in and hug them. Like you're, you're part of this clan because I feel like there's, there's something so much more meaningful to me when you entering this world came with actual risk. Frankly, it doesn't count. If you, if you try out comedy and it doesn't work, so your dad will give you a consultancy role at his investment bank. It just does not mean as much to me as I quit my job washing dishes to take a punt at this and if this is the last work I get I'm going to go back to washing dishes that just means more to me like even to say like the the reason I did the honestly the bachelor of arts was I was thinking I could go be an English teacher I suppose uh that was like the backup or it was arts and physics because it was I could be the most fun physics teacher you have and that that was the goal if this didn't work out and it's both my win and the win of any child who would have been stuck in that class. <laughs> James Colley, my friends. James Colley. And I'm very happy to say that the same day I'm recording this outro saw the arrival of James's daughter, Grace Birupa Punarika Colley. She is adorable. I saw this news because I follow James on Twitter, which you can do too. His handle is at Jam Collie. As it happens, we are on social media as well. Can you believe it? What a seamless segue. You can find us on Instagram at I Get That A Lot Pod. Our art is by Sam Wade. Thank you, Sam. And our music is by Louis Zong. Thank you, Louis. You can check out more of Louis's work at louisong.com. This show absolutely would not happen without my supporters on Patreon, who also get bonus episodes of the show, which this week features extra bits of my conversation with James, where we talk about his start in stand-up comedy, the jokes he doesn't want out in the world, the engineering of gag writing, and much more besides. To hear all of that while supporting the show, head to patreon.com slash jimfishwick, and there'll be a link to all these things in the show notes. I think that's everything. Thank you for listening. If you listened to this and thought, I know someone who'd like this, please let that person know about the show. They might not find out about it otherwise, and then they'd spend the rest of their lives unfulfilled, with an unshakable feeling that there's always something missing. I mean, to be fair, they may still do that, even if they do hear about the show, but, you know, it'd be good to find out, either way. We'll be back in two weeks with our next episode, featuring library, data, and photography enthusiast Mimosa Shah. So until next time, dear listener... Bye-bye.